0: You are listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, from our Counter Culture series, a verse-by-verse study of the Sermon on the Mount. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Now here's Pastor Nick. Several years ago, an article was published by a professor at Texas A&M University, Her name was Virginia Stem Owens, and Professor Owens was a professor of English and literature there at Texas A&M. And one time as an exercise, she gave her students an assignment. The assignment was to read the Sermon on the Mount and then write a response paper with their reflections on it. Now, they were in Texas, and you might think that oh, Texas is kind of like the big Bible buckle on the Bible belt, right? And so you'd expect that the students there in Texas A&M would probably have some, you know, familiarity with the Sermon on the Mount. But what this professor found out as she assigned this assignment and got the response papers back, and what she wrote the article about that, that I found this in, uh, was how interesting it was that many of these kids Uh, had never even heard of the Sermon on the Mount before, right? Some of them had heard of it, uh, but most of them had never read it. And uh, like I said, some of them hadn't even heard of it before. And so uh, she had them read it and turn in their response papers. And when this professor got their responses back to the Sermon on the Mount, in one way, she was uh, not surprised by what they said, but in another way, she was very surprised by what, what they said and how they responded they hated it. They just absolutely hated it, right? And about the Sermon on the Mount, people have historically said things like, well, I just try to live according to the Sermon on the Mount, right? The rest of the Bible, nah, no thanks. It's too exclusive. It's too dogmatic, but the Sermon on the Mount, that's where it's at. Sermon on the Mount is so beautiful. That's the Jesus I'm interested in. But the reason people say that, it it would seem, might be because they've never actually read the Sermon on the Mount. They just think that it sounds good, or they've heard parts of it, but they haven't read it in entirety. Because when these students read the Sermon on the Mount, in its entirety, here are some of the things that they said. Quote, I did not like the Sermon on the Mount. It made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. Here's another one. The things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman like that is adultery? To be angry and insult someone is murder? These are the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statements I have ever heard. Okay, and this press professor who published this article about this experience she had, Uh, she realized what was happening. She says there are two things that were happening here. One was that people tend to think that the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus' feel-good statements about being nice and getting along and playing well with others. But when you read it, what you realize is that it's so much more than that. That in this sermon, Jesus actually says some very radical things and he calls people to make a radical choice. And the other thing that was happening here, she realized, is that when some of these students read the Sermon on the Mount for what it actually said, the reason they reacted so strongly was because they were ducking for cover, right? They were ducking for cover. Uh, we all want other people. Around us to behave in the way that's described in the Sermon on the Mount But yet we realize ourselves when we really look at it that we can't do that That it's asking something so high so lofty that it's it's really hard to do And so for these students this was like an arrow pointing right at their hearts They realize they want other people to act that way But yet they are not capable of acting that way And they realize they can't be neutral about this they can't be indifferent about the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. They can't look at the Sermon on the Mount as an outsider and pass judgment on it. Rather, the Sermon on the Mount, as they read it, they realized it was judging them. And, and this professor, the, the thing she said in her article is that as more and more of our society becomes... Unchurched, I mean, if people don't even grow up going to church. They're not familiar with church. Uh, as that becomes more and more the norm in our society, when people actually do read the Bible, some of them are reading it for the first time. And when they read it for the first time, without these cultural fog around them, they feel the full weight of what is being said by these things. And when they when they read it, they realize, well, these are such things that you cannot be just neutral about. You you can't just look at them, you can't be indifferent. You, if you really understand what Jesus is saying, you can't say, oh, well, isn't that nice? No, it's not nice. It's either, it's, it's either wonderful or it's terrible, depending on your perspective. But the last thing it is, is nice, right? You, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, but you cannot be indifferent about it. These are things which demand that you make a radical choice. They... they make you, they require you to choose and make a decision. And here in the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, we see that all the more clearly. Jesus is now going to call his listeners to decide, to make a decision. He's gonna call them to make a radical choice. That's the title of today's message, The Radical Choice. If you'd please read with me Matthew's gospel, starting in uh, chapter seven, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has consistently presented us with these. These big contrasts, right? He'll contrast one thing against another thing. Two different ways of living your life. He says there's the common way and then there's the gospel way, Jesus' way. He started out by contrasting two different approaches to seeking happiness. Then he talked about two different kinds of righteousness. Then he talked about two different kinds of piety. Then he talked about two different kinds of treasures, two different masters, and two different ambitions in life. And then Jesus, he contrasted these, all these two, two different things. And now what he does is, he says, it's time for decision. And he says, look, let me boil it down for you. There are two paths, two. They both start right here, wherever you're at today. They're right here. But they lead in very different directions, and they have very different destinations. The one path is the path of least resistance, right? It's going with the flow. It's what everybody's doing But that path leads to destruction. The other path, though, is it's countercultural, but it leads to eternal life. And these two different paths are entered by two different gates. The one gate is wide, and many are those who enter by it, but the other gate is narrow, and there are few who enter through it. So here's what Jesus is saying He's saying, Not all ways are equal, not all ways are good. When you really get down to it there are really only two paths you can take in life either you follow me on this countercultural path that leads to eternal life or you don't follow me and you go uh, on the on the common path but that path leads ultimately to destruction Now this is without question the biggest point of contention that many people in our day have with Christianity right they they would say well my problem with Christianity Isn't that, you know, you believe certain things and and maybe I agree with some of the things you believe with, but you know, my problem with Christianity people might say is that it's so well, to use Jesus' word, so narrow. Right, Christianity is exclusive. That's true. It's it's exclusive in its claims to truth. It's exclusive in, in its claims to believing and following Jesus as the only way to connect with God, as the only way to go to heaven. And that is extremely countercultural, right? That's been the title of our series and it just continues to turn up because that is extremely countercultural to say that there's only one way, that it's this exclusive. We live in a society where the prevailing attitude is hey, there's different strokes for different folks and it's fine if you want to believe something, but just don't go around saying that your way is the only way or it's the way that other people need to think or believe too because that's arrogant. And and who are you to say that what you believe is right and that what somebody else believes is wrong? Maybe they're all right, you know? Maybe it doesn't even matter in the end who's right and who's wrong because we're all just taking different paths and they're all leading to the same place, right? They're all just paths to the divine. One guy I talked to, he described it like this. He said, you know, we're all just ascending the same mountain, which leads us to the divine. And we're just taking different trails to get there. You're following Jesus, and I'm following my way, but our paths will eventually lead us to the same place. Only difference is you're taking the long way, and I'm taking the shortcut, right? That's what he said. So, uh, but here, don't you see, Jesus did not teach that. He didn't even teach anything close to that. He taught the exact opposite of that, really. He said, no, not all paths lead to the same place. In fact, there are really only two paths. There's the path of following me, which leads to eternal life, or the path of not following me, which leads to destruction. Now, most people here in Colorado, at least statistically, they believe in a higher power. But when it comes to Christianity, this is really the thing that many people stumble over. They find it hard to accept the exclusivity of Christianity. You know, in our society, to be narrow-minded is really one of the worst possible things you can be. Yet here is Jesus, and, and these are his words himself, right? If we were to say anything other than this, we would not be being faithful to the words of Jesus. So here's what Jesus says. There are only two gates. There are only two paths. There are only two crowds. There are only two destinations. Not all paths are equal. Not all paths lead to the same place. Not everybody's going to heaven. And that may be unpopular. But the real issue is not whether it's popular or not. The real issue is this. Is it true or not? There's no third option. Either it is or it isn't. There's no middle way. It's either one or the other. And we kind of resent it when people make us decide between this or that. But this is really, Jesus is saying, I have to make you decide between these two things because there's really only two options. See, here's the thing. Everybody, every person holds exclusive beliefs and viewpoints and opinions. Just some people are more ready to admit it than other people, right? But no matter what, everybody holds exclusive viewpoints and and opinions. For example, if you have an opinion that all religions basically teach the same things, you know, the details may be different, but at their core, all religions teach the same basic things, understand that that is an exclusive belief. It's an exclusive viewpoint because what you are saying is that people who disagree with you are wrong. To have a viewpoint or to have an opinion insinuates that people who don't share your opinion, you think they're wrong, right? So everybody holds exclusive viewpoints. If you say it doesn't really matter what someone believes, that's an exclusive statement. You're saying that other people are wrong if they think that it does matter what you believe. So you're saying that Jesus was actually wrong when he said that it very much matters what you believe. And you're saying that other religions are wrong when they make exclusive claims. See, the point is everybody has exclusive beliefs and viewpoints and opinions. Just some people are more ready to admit it than others. And and I love that Jesus is honest enough to say, look, here's how it is. There are only two ways. There's the way of following me, entering through the narrow gate, the small path traveled by few, which leads to eternal life. Or there's the other way, Going with the flow, following the crowd, but that path leads to destruction ultimately. So he says there's a choice. There's one of two ways. And you need to make a radical decision. Verse 15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus says there are two paths. There's one that leads to destruction, right? And and here's the sad and tragic fact, is that there are actually people who would encourage you on that path that leads to destruction. And Jesus says, watch out for those people. Jesus calls them false prophets. Now, what's interesting about this term, false prophets, if you look at the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was speaking the word of God to the people of Judea. But there were also uh, false prophets around in that time. And it's interesting to see what the false prophets did in the time of Jeremiah. What the false prophets preached in the time of Jeremiah was they preached a false optimism. You see, God's word to the people of Judah was, you need to repent, you need to turn back to me. You've been living in rebellion, and as a result, judgment is coming. But it's not too late. There's hope. If you will turn back to me, if you'll forsake your wicked ways, if you'll repent and you'll come to me, I will have mercy on you. And that's what Jeremiah preached. That was his message. But the false prophets in Jeremiah's day, what they preached was, hey, it's all good, right? God's not a God of judgment. There's no judgment coming. Nothing to worry about. They preached peace, peace when there was no peace. And and what was, they preached optimism when what was really needed was a, a sober repentance and turning back to God. They filled the people with a sense of confidence, a false sense of security, when they should have been calling the people to repentance and turning back to God. And of course their message was popular because their message was positive and affirming, and who doesn't love to hear a positive and affirming message? Their message was popular, but it wasn't accurate. That was the problem. It wasn't the message that God wanted the people to hear, that the people needed to hear. Because that message, rather than causing the people to repent, it actually encouraged them to continue in their ways, living in rebellion against God and compromising with idolatry and worshiping all kinds of other things. And I think there's a parallel there uh, between the false prophets in that day and what Jesus is warning us to watch out for in our day. He says there are two paths. And the false prophets are the people who would encourage you to go down the path That's easy, the path of least resistance, the path that ultimately leads to destruction. They're the people who, like the false prophets in Jeremiah's day, would say, peace, peace, nothing to worry about, no destruction coming, don't worry, you don't need to change anything. Do whatever feels good because all paths lead to the same place anyway. Jesus says these people are false prophets, and what they're saying is dangerous. Because Jesus would say, here I am trying to tell people to make a radical choice, to follow me on this path, to forsake everything else. It may not be easy, but it, it may be countercultural, but it leads to eternal life. And here are these other people. While I'm, while I'm trying to get people to do that, they're encouraging people not to worry about it, right? They're encouraging people down the broad path that leads to destruction, So the first step in combating these false prophets is just to beware of them, to be on alert. And and so he says, beware of people who would encourage you down any other path other than the narrow path of Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So what uh, what do these false prophets do? Jesus says here that they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now this is interesting because there are two things which Jesus might be referring to here. Now, one is, you know, the, what, what generally comes to people's mind, right? You get like a wolf dressed up in a sheep costume, right? And you can picture that. There's this wolf. He's got his sheep costume on, and he's strolling in so he can get close to the other sheep so he uh, so can eat them, right? But there's another thing that I think Jesus is saying, and, and actually I, I believe this is actually what Jesus is saying here, and that's this. Both in the time of Jesus and even to this present day in many places around the world, what a shepherd would wear is a sheepskin. They would wear sheep's clothing, so to say, around themselves. So I went camping for a week in Romania, and uh, that's where this picture's from. I went camping for a week in Romania, and we were hiking in this national park. Uh, I mean, it's amazing, it's beautiful. and as we would go, we would run into these shepherds who were out there with their sheep. And so in the hot summer months in Romania, these shepherds would take their sheep up to the mountains where it's cooler and uh, these shepherds would sleep outside for days or, or even weeks at a time and so they would wear these big sheepskin coats to stay warm. And so, especially here in the context of the false prophets, now think about it in this context. It would seem to me that this is likely what Jesus is saying. He's saying, beware of those who come to you dressed up as shepherds or spiritual leaders, you know, wearing the garments of spiritual leaders, but they would actually lead you astray. Those who would come to you looking like shepherds, but they do not lead you through the narrow gate and down the small path, the countercultural path of following Jesus, which leads to eternal life. Beware of them. You know, many people, I think, in our day, this this is somewhat neglected statement of Jesus, I think, or warning of Jesus, because I think that in our day, many people would only recognize a false prophet if he walked up and introduced himself and said, Hi, nice to meet you. I'm a false prophet. Oh, okay, good. I was wondering what a false prophet looked like. But the problem with that is the false prophets just never do that, right? Like you never, they never say that they're false prophets. So how are you supposed to recognize a false prophet when you see one? Well, Jesus says you're going to know them by their fruits. Now, no tree can hide its identity for very long because sooner or later the tree betrays what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it produces. So we're to guard ourselves against false prophets by taking heed to several aspects of of a person's life and ministry. Not just one, but several aspects. Here, here are a few. We should take note of their manner of living. This is something that the New Testament tells us to look for in those who talk about God. We should look at their manner of living. Do they themselves live according to this countercultural way of following Jesus that we've been talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount? We also pay attention to the content of their teaching. Is it true fruit from God's word or is it something else? Are they changing the message in order to to make it more palatable or to gain a following or to gain notoriety or fame or, or at worst, even money? And that's what false prophets did in the time of Jeremiah. You see, the false prophets preached a message which was very popular, and they they made it more popular. They they changed what God was actually saying, and they kind of popularized it. Why? So that they would gain a greater following, even though what they were preaching wasn't true or accurate. And so, and it worked. People loved their message, and they had a great following and huge popularity. And you might know that, on the other hand, there's Jeremiah faithfully giving people the word of God and very few people listened to what he had to say even though he was faithfully proclaiming the true message of God so look at their manner of living also look at the content of their teaching and also look at the effect of their teaching does their teaching cause people to trust Jesus more to follow Jesus all the more Or does their teaching only tickle people's ears and pique their interest, give them momentary fuzzy feelings, but doesn't cause them to place their full trust in Jesus and follow them with their whole hearts? Now earlier though, in this same chapter, we talked about it last week, Jesus told us that if we're going to judge, we better start with judging ourselves, right? So if we're going to, he tells us, judge yourself first before you pick out the speck in your brother's eye. Take care of the log in your own eye. And so therefore, if we, if you and me are going to be fruit inspectors, if we're going to be inspecting other people's fruit, guess whose tree we need to be looking at first? We need to be looking at our own tree first. So Jesus says a good tree bears good fruit, a diseased tree bears bad fruit. Fruit is the inevitable product of who you are on the inside. And eventually who you are on the inside will come out. It will be revealed in the fruit of your life for better or for worse. So before we go examining the fruit of other people's trees and their lives we must first critically examine our own lives what kind of fruit is my life producing what kind of fruit is your life producing good fruit bad fruit no fruit 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 betrays who we are on the inside but the hope of the gospel and you need to know this that the hope of the gospel is this the good news is this that who you are on the inside can change as long as God is in your story the story's not over You can become a new person and you can be changed in the very fiber of your being. You can be changed and transformed in Jesus Christ. And the fruit of your life, which is the inevitable result of who you are on the inside, will change as who you are is changed. God doesn't just want to change the fruit of your life. He doesn't just want to change the outward stuff that everybody can see. He wants to first change who you are on the inside and then that fruit comes after He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to renew your mind. And when that happens, the fruit will eventually inevitably come and show that change. So fruit is something that shows who you are. And the only way to change the fruit of your life is to become a different person. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ. And that is the offer of the gospel that Jesus will take your old life and he will give you his new life. Now remember that the point of this final section of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is calling his listeners to a radical decision, a radical choice between two paths. And here in the last two things, the last two paragraphs of the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to warn us against two common responses that people have to his words, which fall short of what he's really calling us to. So two common responses that people have, which both fall short of what he's really calling us to. The first response that Jesus warns against is that of a purely outward response. Purely outward action, but no inward change. No heart, no relationship with God. The second response that Jesus is going to warn us against is that of only a merely intellectual acceptance of what Jesus says, but not actually doing it. Okay, so let's, let's read from verse 21 and we'll see this first response. I used to drive this girl from my neighborhood to school. We went to the same high school together. So I would pick her up every day and I'd drive her to school. And she was a Christian. And I knew that because she always made me listen to her Christian music. But, but you know, I, I listened to it. And she would invite me to her church functions. And I went sometimes. And uh, one day, though, she said something to me that shocked me. And kind of offended me and and we were talking and and she said kind of in passing she says you know the difference between you and me is that I'm a Christian and you're not and I was like wait wait a second you know, I was totally taken back by as I was like, wait a second who are you to tell me that I'm not a Christian like who do you think you are right you don't even know me and she says well listen I just figure a Christian is somebody who follows Jesus And it just doesn't seem to me like you follow Jesus. So I figured that you're not a Christian. So, I mean, you don't go to church. I see the way that you live. It doesn't seem to me like you're following Jesus. So I just guess you're not a Christian. And I told him, well, I'll have you know, I'm totally a Christian, right? Like I believe all the stuff, right? I believe in Jesus. And so the next day, we're driving around and, uh, and we, we pulled over to talk because I was, I was upset that she told me I'm not a Christian, right? And so she opens up her Bible, and she opens it to this passage right here that we just read. And she, she said, read it. And so I, I read it, and, and, and then she asks me, is that you? Are, are you that guy? Are you that person who thinks that you, you know all the stuff, and you, you even call Jesus Lord with your words? But, it, but it's only words. You don't actually know him, really. You don't have a relationship with him. You, you don't do what he asks you to do, right? You, you just, it's all outward, right? But there's no inward change. There's no transformation. There's no heart. There's no relationship. Is that you? Are you that person? It, because if that is you, when you stand before Jesus on that day, he's gonna say, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. And she said, is that you? And I said, No, that's not me. But of course it was me, and I knew it immediately. It was like a dagger in my heart. I knew immediately that was me. I just didn't want to admit it to her, but I knew it was true. And and that started a whole process in my life through which I really did come into a relationship with God. I came to this immediate realization that even though I might think in theory, yes, Jesus is Lord, it's all true, it's all good. He wasn't my Lord. I had no relationship with him. I had not entered into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I had not entered through the narrow gate. I was not walking this path of following Jesus. And and it was this verse that God used. And this girl who was so bold to say something like this to me. God used this verse in my life to get me to the place of realizing how desperately I needed to be in a relationship with him. And it truly was the biggest turning point of my life. It changed the course of my entire life is the best thing that ever happened to me. But this is an incredibly interesting thing that Jesus says here. He's saying that not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why Lord, Lord? Why twice like that? Because here's why. In this language at that time, repeating something was uh, insinuated passion. It insinuated fervency. It insinuated emotion. Right? So this is a person who, who not only outwardly says, Lord, but she says, Lord, Lord. This is a person who looks like, on the outside, they look like they are passionate about God. This is a person who comes to church, right? And they look like they are passionate about God. But Jesus says, not all those people are going to be entering the kingdom of heaven. Not only do they appear passionate, but we also see that they performed acts of service or Christian service in Jesus' name. They prophesied, they cast out demons. They were used by God, but yet they never knew God, right? They were involved in Christian ministry, but they had no relationship with God. And Jesus says, Just because somebody does all these things, just because they go to church or maybe they're even involved in ministry, that doesn't mean that they will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, this is actually somewhat alarming, right? He says, there will be many, many on that day who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff in your name. And he'll say, they'll say, we were zealous. We were passionate. We did all this. We did Christian ministry. But he'll say, but I never knew you. You did all this stuff. You said all these things, but you never had a relationship with me, so depart from me. And that's terribly sad. This is a very radical thing that Jesus is saying here. What was the fault that these people made? What was the thing that they did wrong? In everything they did, here's what it was. It was all purely outward. They did all these things. They said all these things outwardly, but inwardly, there was no relationship with God. What Jesus is saying here, he says, let me be clear what kind of response I'm looking for from you here. I don't just want to change your outward actions. I don't just want to change your behavior. I don't just want to change the words that you say. It's not just about going to church. It's not just about doing things for me or saying the magic words, right, that Jesus is Lord. It's about truly and actually giving your heart over to God, giving your life over to God and entering into a relationship with him as your creator, sustainer, savior, and Lord and having that dynamic relationship with God in which you seek to know him and seek to be led by him. Jesus said in in John 17, he said, this is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Paul the Apostle said, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's about knowing him. That inward relationship between you and God. That's what Jesus came for. Not, no amount of outward works can ever make up for that knowing God. That's why Jesus came, to make a way for your broken relationship with God to be restored so that you could know God and live with him forever. So the first response to the words of Jesus that he warns us against, he says, okay, you've heard what I've said. Now, don't respond like this. Don't let it just be purely outward uh, response, but no inward change, no heart, no relationship. The second response response that jesus warns us against is kind of the other end of the spectrum it's that of merely intellectual acceptance or intellectual knowledge of what jesus has said but not actually doing the things that jesus says let's read in verse 24 everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now that we've heard the words of Jesus telling us about the way to be truly happy, telling us about the way to be truly righteous before God, telling us how to, be, uh, how to truly follow Jesus as a disciple and be part of his kingdom. Now that we've heard these things here in the Sermon on the Mount, now it's up to us whether or not we will do those things or whether we will just nod agreeably. Outwardly, no one may ever realize or know If you actually do these things and put them into practice Just like two builders building a house They build the house on different foundations One on rock, one on sand But from the outside, these houses probably looked very similar Right? Probably they're nice to look at You go inside, they're probably comfortable to live in The difference between them was not something that you could immediately see Just by glancing at them from the outside The difference between them was on the underneath It was was in the foundation that they were built upon And for the most part, these two houses were completely indistinguishable until one day a storm came and the rain came and the wind came and beat against these two houses. And that's when the difference between these two houses, the difference between these two foundations became very much apparent because the one built on the rock stood strong, whereas the one built on the sand collapsed. And here's what Jesus is saying. He said, you've heard my words. Now the question is, how will you respond? What choice will you make? Will you respond by merely nodding your head agreeably because you know this stuff? Or will you actually do it and live it? Will you actually put these things into practice in your life? Outwardly, most people probably won't be able to tell the difference just by glancing at you from the outside. You can build a nice life that's quite comfortable and looks great without building it on this foundation, without doing any of these things in practice. And you know, I think especially in this area that we live in, um, if you would take two people who live in this area and hold them up side by side, one's a Christian, the other one's not a Christian, and you, you look at their lives, I mean I think sometimes it would be completely indistinguishable just from looking at it from the outside right like these people have jobs these people got jobs right these people are married those people are married these people love their kids those people love their kids well so what's the difference the difference is the foundation which may not be immediately apparent uh, the foundation that their life is built upon but the difference that the foundation makes becomes most apparent when storms come, when difficulty and tragedy hits, and ultimately when the ultimate storm comes, which is death, which is coming for all of us. When that storm hits, those who have not only heard the words of Jesus, but acted upon them, and in doing so have built their life upon the rock, in the end they will stand. But those who have not built their lives upon him, those who may have heard his words, but for whatever reason have not acted upon them, In the end they will fall Jesus is saying how you respond to these things that I've told you don't you see it's truly a matter of life and death your eternal destiny is determined by how you respond Jesus here is making an impassioned plea for these with these people he's saying look I've laid out everything for you here's this countercultural way of following me and being part of my kingdom but but unavoidably, necessarily, there is a choice that needs to be made. You can't get around it. Ultimately, there are two ways. There are two foundations. One way leads to life, the other way leads to destruction. One foundation is secure and, and will withstand the, the storms of this life and even death. The other will end in disaster. These are not things that you can be neutral about or indifferent about. This is the most important choice in the world. Which road are you going to travel? Which foundation are you going to build upon? He's saying that God has said, he's saying the same thing that God has said over and over throughout the Bible and throughout every generation. He's saying, look, behold, I set before you today, life and death. Choose life. Choose life, please. It's yours for the taking. The way that leads to eternal life is open to you because of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is that you and I, we have sinned and therefore we deserve God's judgment, but God loves you so much that he made a way for you to be saved. And he did that by becoming a man, Jesus Christ, so that he could take the judgment that you deserve, that I deserve, so that he could take it upon himself so that we could be saved and have a relationship with him so let me encourage you today make this radical choice choose life choose the way which leads to life enter by the narrow gate jesus christ is that gate jesus christ is that way which leads to life seek the happiness which lasts forever Remember, we talked about how to do that by recognizing your spiritual poverty and receiving the comfort which only comes by being forgiven of your sins and then submitting your whole life to God. Take hold of the righteousness which is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, that one which is not your own righteousness but which is the righteousness of God created for you and credited to your account in Jesus Christ. Jesus is that rock. And if you build your life upon him, by not only hearing his words, but by doing them also, then you will have a foundation which will not only carry you through the storms of this life, but will last you forever. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you that you are that rock. You are that rock upon which we can build our lives, upon which we can build our, our eternal destiny. And Lord, thank you that when the storms of this life come, if our, if our life is built on you, we will stand. And not only that, Lord, when the ultimate storm comes that is coming for all people, that storm of death, if we have built our lives upon you, we will stand. We thank you for that great hope of the gospel. Lord, may we live in it. And I pray today, Lord, that every one of us would make that radical choice that you're asking us to make. Lord, whatever things have held us back from that, uh, making that radical choice, following you on that path, Lord, may today be the day when some of us enter by the narrow gate and go down this path that leads to eternal life. Lord, would you do that in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com.